Greetings. You are watching the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. My name's Adam Draycott. Uh, thank you for uh, joining with us for this special occasion. Uh, this has been prepared for the 25th of April, the third Sunday after Easter. And today, of course, is Anzac Day. Uh, our preaching passage uh, comes from John chapter 10. Uh, we'll open God's word up in a moment. Uh, for now, let's have a time of praise. sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 23 verse 1 and Psalm 33 verses 5 and 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. 
By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all their host by the breath of his mouth. Let's pray. Almighty and ever-living God, you give us new strength from the courage of Christ, our shepherd. May he lead us to join the saints in heaven. Help us to look forward to that. And thank you that we already do. Uh, where he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Ministry of God's Word comes from John's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning at verse 11 through to verse 18. Please take a moment to read that out loud now. Let me pray. Loving Father, we thank you that we can gather together around your word, uh, even uh, in this way. We thank you that we can have our Bibles open. Uh, we pray indeed that you would speak to our hearts and minds through your word, that we would listen to the voice of the shepherd, uh, that we would follow him uh, uh, in the way of repentance and faith. May we ask for your help that you would be glorified. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. As I mentioned, it's, today's online ministry has been prepared for Anzac Day. Uh, not far from our vicarage here uh, is the War Memorial Cenotaph and the Memorial Wall at the pool. And we walk past it uh, nearly every other day. And we are reminded of all those names. All those names that have been quite literally carved into our local history. And they're important names to us. They're cherished names. They're the names of uh, families that still live here in this community. It strikes me that there are so many names here of people I never knew. They were, this was all before I was born. I didn't know these people. Uh, yet we are right to be thankful for them, aren't we, still today? Uh, these people responded to the call of the nation's leaders. They responded to serve the king and country uh, on the battlefield to potentially die. Uh, and so we remember all of our servicemen uh, today, but particularly those that gave their life. Our text for today uh, comes straight out of the lectionary and it's a good fit for Anzac Day. It tells us straight away that Jesus is the good shepherd. It begs the question, what makes for a good shepherd? Verse 11, it tells us the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life. Verse 18, I lay down my life. It's repeated four times. Begs the question, as you think about the shepherd willing to lay down his life for the sheep, who would you die for? Who would you die for? I was running a lunchtime uh, group at a local high school uh, many, many years ago, and I asked the students the same question. And then the students, of course, they threw it back at me. Well, you, hey, sir, who would you die for? And I, I had to think. And then they 
up the ante. They said, sir, would you die for us? Clearly, as I processed this very bold question, I have to admit, I balked at the prospect and they, of course, saw that and they actually looked disappointed. But let's be honest, who would you die for? Just not anybody or everybody. And of course, that's what makes Anzac Day so poignant. The, question, the context, of course, is war and it's a political war. Uh, the the theatre of war carries this very real expectation, uh, the danger of opposition and threats and physical violence, quite literally a fight, death, a very likely possibility, you do it as soldiers. Uh, here in this text, in our Bible reading 2,000 years ago, it's Jesus that's saying, you know, I'm the good shepherd and I will meet any danger, any obstacle, any threat of violence. Thieves who come in to steal or kill or destroy, that's verse 10. Wolves who might attack and scatter the flock, verse 12. And Jesus is actually contrasting previous shepherds from the Old Testament those previous shepherds of God's people who did such a terrible job. Now Jesus is saying, I'm the one that will protect you. I will care for you. I'll get it right where they got it terribly wrong. I'll even die for you because you're mine. You're mine. That's what Jesus is saying. Notice something else. Notice that we're not on loan to Jesus. This is not a temporary arrangement. He's no part-timer or casual hired hand, verse 12. Him being the shepherd is not a temporary arrangement. No, unlike past shepherds who failed, and are, by extension, no longer shepherds of God's people, I think, Jesus is here to stay. And he's not going anywhere. And that's very comforting, isn't it? We are his. The sheep are his. They belong to him. And he is completely good for the task. Hear that very, very clearly. Jesus is the good shepherd and he is completely trustworthy. He is completely good for the task. Question then, well, what does it mean to be his? Well, look at verse 14 with me, please. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The relationship between the Father and the Son is a known relationship. It's an intimate relationship. It's special. Father knows me. I know the Father. They're tight. Does the Father and the Son know each other a little bit? Are they barely on talking terms here? No. Oh, is it a bit better than that? Is it maybe... A 60% relationship? No. Do you reckon the father and the son are so tight they are 100% tight? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going 100 as well. Did you go 100? Good. I think that's the right answer. 100%. They know each other intimately, inside and out. And tell me, what's the relationship between the good shepherd and the sheep? Do you reckon the good shepherd knows his sheep? A little? Or a bit better? 
or, or, or even a lot? Or do you reckon the shepherd knows his sheep inside out? You want to go for 100% again? Yeah, 100% the shepherd knows his sheep. He knows his sheep. He understands them intimately. He identifies with them completely in every way, which is quite remarkable. Now, as you think about that, remember the, the relationship of the father and the son is contrasted and, and is to mirror the relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. Look at verse 14 again. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. There it is again. The sheep are clearly Christ's flock. They are his mob. Verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. And they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock. And one shepherd. Many people read this and conclude that Jesus is saying that the other mob are the Gentiles who are yet to be brought in. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, today, though, it is still true that there are still others, still different people, still people from different backgrounds, that the shepherd continues and longs to draw into his flock, his mob. This hasn't changed. It is still true today um, on another level. The mob is an international mob. Um, it's a, a mob that is for all nations. And we need to see that here as well. It's entirely missional. How many mobs are there? How many? Did you say one? Because that is the correct answer. And why is there only one? Well, because there's one shepherd, verse 16. One flock, one shepherd. Now, here's a side note, so bear with me for a moment. Maybe this is where people get excited about denominational differences, right? You scratch our heads and go, hang on, one mob, one shepherd. That's not what it looks like in the community. And so some people will actually conclude that denominationalism is wicked and that it is the result of sin, because we don't agree and we split and that's bad and it is. Conflict isn't good for the gospel when Christians are fighting. That's terrible, especially when it's driven by uh, self-interest. Yet denominationalism, well, it's not completely negative. There are positive aspects to it. So hear me out. Denominationalism reflects the diversity of Christ's church. Think about it. Individuals have different taste buds, don't we? What Thomas wants to eat for lunch is quite different to what I want to eat for lunch. Thomas is my boy, by the way. Individuals have different taste buds, and guess what? So do church families. So do churches. Some churches like to emphasize a particular taste or preference, where others might go, mm, no thanks, no, no. And you know what? That's perfectly okay. It's perfectly okay. Some churches um, want to sing lively, uh, vibrant, um, upbeat Christian music that comes from the 90s. In fact, 
one denomination even has it as part of their um, terms of references. This is what we're about. We're about lively, upbeat, vibrant Christian music. But another, another might respond to that and go, well, that's actually not my cup of tea. We would prefer to pull out all stops on the pipe organ and sing traditional reformed hymns. And you know what? That's okay. That is okay. One church might prefer a particular style of preaching over another. Because there are different styles of preaching. Some churches might emphasize sacraments whilst others don't. Or particular ways of doing the sacrament. Some emphasize social justice concerns where others do social justice but it's not a major emphasis. Can I say none of these differences are inherently sinful or wicked? They just reflect our diversity. Different preferences, different taste buds means different expressions of faith, but it's the faith in the same Lord. Uh, it's the faith in the same King and Saviour. Different expressions mean greater creativity. There's a broader spectrum of gifts and different emphasis in the body of Christ. And that is a good thing. It's a thoroughly good thing, and when it works, it's a beautiful thing. But in our diversity, we also have unity. Though that we have different taste buds, we are united in the gospel. The one true place of unity is Christ our Lord. The common denominator in our denominationalism, <laughs> is Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. Don't let anyone tell you different. Our unity in Christ is not determined by our churchmanship or preferences or getting a crowd together at some random event doesn't make us united. I think that's a shallow view of unity. Real unity is in Christ Jesus. Let me say it again. Nothing more, nothing less. If you are in Christ, you are one in him with everybody else. That's it. One mob, one shepherd, nothing more, nothing less. And we are called, our unity is to be in the truth of who Jesus is and what he is like. And we get that from the word. And so we proclaim one truth uh, together differently but it's the one truth and it's the same truth under God we pray it's where we get departures from the truth that's a big deal and that's the rub isn't it and that's the great sadness but hear me say this again whilst ever we preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus name to all nations that's Luke 24 then we are right to cheer one another on that's okay that's the side note all right we come back to the passage, notice three characteristics about being in the mob. Three things about the sheep. We've heard about the shepherd, haven't we? The shepherd knows us. We know the shepherd. That's the first thing. Um, ask yourself, what is a Christian? Here is an answer. A Christian is someone who knows the shepherd. A Christian is someone who is known by the shepherd and knows the shepherd themselves for themselves jesus says my sheep they know me 
And I know them. That's verse 14. Jesus knows you 100%. Have fun with that. Do you know him? That's the encouragement. Because he knows you. And he wants you to know him. What is a Christian? It's not about denominationalism. What is a Christian? The answer isn't even about baptism. What is a Christian? It's not about your standing in the community or your list of merit or good works. It's not about any of that. It's about your relationship with Jesus. Beginning and end, full stop, that's it. It is entirely relational. So I ask you again, do you know him? Are you friends with Jesus? And if you know him, are you committed to his mob? As you're committed to him. You can't... What is a sheep? What is a shepherd without sheep? What is sheep without a shepherd? They're all together, aren't they? Do you know this good shepherd that lays down his life for you? It's Anzac Day. We remember it happens that people go to war for their country. They give their lives willingly. They... Such willing sacrifice. And as you imagine that, now think about the good shepherd who loves you. Who loves us and he lays down his life for us in a way that no one else can. He suffers in our place. He dies in our place. He does it on our behalf. He is forsaken so that we need never be. That first Easter on the cross. He dies for you. He lays down his life for you. That's what the Good Shepherd does. Such is your need. Such is my need. Here's the second thing about being in the mob. The sheep know his voice. They listen to him. Verse 16. Says that, Bob. Look at verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. What is a Christian? A Christian is somebody who knows Jesus, who listens to him and follows him. That's it. Sheep know the voice of the shepherd. He's the word. This is how he speaks. This is how he guides us. And so as the mob together, we listen because he's a good shepherd. He knows what's good for us. He knows what's best for us. And when we think we know better, that's it. that's it. We're back in the garden. As we navigate life, see it. As we navigate life and make sense of the conflict and turmoil and crisis and confusion and war with others or war with ourselves, God meets our need. He gives us a shepherd who is not silent but speaks. And so again... Another question, are we listening? Are you listening to the shepherd? Now you go, well, but really, why do I need to listen? Because again, what do you think you know better? Do you think you know better? Honestly. If you're walking along a path that is not the path that Jesus calls you to walk on, then you do. Again, you're back in the garden. It's not going to work. So why do we need to listen to him? Because he's good. And we've got to trust the shepherd that he wants good things for us. He knows where those good things are, the, the green pastures, the still waters. He speaks to us through the word. The spirit then opens our 
hearts and our eyes and our minds to the truth of his word, the wonder of his word. Such that we don't only listen, we do what it says, James 1.22. We follow. All right, he knows us. We know him. We listen to him. We do it together as part of the mob, remember? Lastly, three point three. see the promises. Verse 10. What are the promises? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He just wants bad things for you. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What a promise is that? That's the kind of promise you could write on your fridge, isn't it? Jesus has come that we might have life and have it to the full. Verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See how that life to the full comes about? Verse 17, I lay down my life only to take it up again. Verse 18, I lay down my life only to take it up again. He lays down his life. He dies. He rises. He lives. Which means, look at verse 28 for a promise. I give him eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Which means we are, are eternally his. Here is the promise of eternal life. Here is a promise we hold fast to. Look at the memorial wall. Think about that memorial wall. Remember all the names. I don't know what they were promised. I don't know what the leaders of the day promised. So much death. Freedom from the enemy, I don't know. We are right to be thankful. We are right to remember them. But here's the name of one who gives his life as a sacrifice that we can know. We can know this one who died for us intimately. We need to know him and we need to listen to him and we need to see that he gives us not death but eternal life. So again, I ask you, do you know Jesus, the good shepherd? The good shepherd that tends us and cares for us who knows where the green grass and the still waters are, the good shepherd who restores our soul such that we lack nothing. The good shepherd who knows what it is like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and promises to deliver us to the heavenly banquet table where our cup will never be empty, where we will dwell in the very presence of God for all eternity. That's a good promise. Amen.